Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We want to welcome you to our podcast that kicks off today. You're next with Dr. Jim Nahr and Troy Garrett as we discuss some of the important concepts and principles and foundational teaching that our next generation needs in order to continue to be successful in our life and holy living with Christ. So with that, hey, Troy. So that is a perfect example of what this podcast is going to be. We had a plan of me starting this thing out, and he just interrupted. And that's what he does. So we're going to have some fun. Uh, so as he said, welcome to the Your Next Podcast. Um, so there's been a lot said about millennials and Gen Z. And most, has been, and most of it has been bad about how our generation needs help and all that nonsense. Nobody wants to talk about the good things. And so Dr. Nars here, and we're going to start this conversation in many different areas, relationships, politics, just wisdom about life. Um, and for the listeners, I am a 33-year-old black man. Uh-oh, black man. And Pastor Nar, you're how old? 56, not black. Not black. He's white, by the way. Um, and I met Dr. Nar. Caucasian. I'm gonna... Caucasian. White. Okay. Do we have, are, are we going to be politically correct the well, entire time? It, I hope you guys aren't offended by our banter, but we've been bantering for years, so we actually like each other. We do. Hopefully. We'll see you if we still like each other after this experience. Uh, but I met Dr. Nar. Years ago, in a two-year program, a two-year college program, he was the dean of students, and he had an open-door policy, and I'm pretty sure most of the students spent more time in his office than anywhere else. Probably should have been doing more homework than jabbering about many life. things about life in his class, I mean, in his office. Um, and we went through a lot, of, a lot of cool conversations, and so we just wanted to bring it these conversations to you. So, Pastor, Dr. Reverend Nar, um, why did you want to do this podcast? Why did you want to start this podcast? Man, for me, it's pretty simple. It, let me just say it this way. So I grew up in a generation of people in the church that was always preparing me for Jesus to come tomorrow. And so um, I just need to be ready for Jesus to come tomorrow. Whatever I did, Jesus was going to come tomorrow. And so it was sort of, um, and sometimes it was, um, it was, um, um, almost indirect conversations, some right, sometimes outright conversations of, of, of we're going to go to heaven tomorrow. Yet what was lost in that was the idea that, uh, I just might live this life until I'm old. And what did you really give me to prepare for that aspect? I'm all for like, I'm a Christian and I'm all for the idea that Jesus is coming back, but um, I think he could come tomorrow if he wants to. I'm not sure he's going to. And in the meantime, if the young people coming up behind me, if, if all they hear is love Jesus, he's coming tomorrow. What are they doing as far as expanding fundamental truths on how to live a good life? Cool. And so our first topic, is going to be on wealth and status. Mm -hmm. um, That's because I've been accused of saying out loud, which I don't mind saying, although it's not always understood my perspective, I think wealth and status are two of the biggest things that right now is um, plaguing our young people because of the way it's maybe pursued wrongly, maybe. So, So what do you mean? So we have parameters for this conversation. What do you mean by wealth and status? We have parameters? You mean we started we're, with parameters? We're going to try. Started gonna with try. parameters. We're going to okay. try to stay within All right. some boundaries. But wealth and we're gonna status. We're going to call it some boundaries. Um, it, it's my observation, and I believe it to be very accurate, that currently in our Western Christian culture um, and in our Western culture as a whole, which is why it seeped into our Christian culture, is that um, it, it, it seems to be the one thing that people want to be wealthy and to be recognized. 
wealthy and recognized and, and get so focused on that right out of the shoot out of school that, that, um, almost demanding a, a level of wealth and a, and a level of status that, that basic foundational principles of God are just lost in trying to get wealthy and attain a level of status and culture. And I think our American culture pushes that. So do you just mean by wealth, do you just mean having a lot of money? Having a lot of money. And so what status? Um, I, I think, again, our culture teaches the idea of, I got to move up the corporate ladder. Um, the corporate ladder uh, um, analogy works on the farm, works in business, um, works in politics. Everyone's trying to work their way up the ladder because somehow if they could just keep climbing to the top of the ladder and be the top dog, then they've somehow achieved. So how else would you determine success? (laughs) So I believe that Attaining levels of recognition and status are okay. And I think obtaining um, wealth through assets and money is okay. That in and of themselves is not the problem. I think the problem is when that becomes the sole focus and that we forget that, and I study this and sometimes I get um, um, some people who kind of rebut me a little bit. I say that success is often tied with contentment. You have to, you have to kind of be content with life to really walk in, in success. At the same time, too much contentment can also become an obstacle, but the two kind of work hand in hand. And, and the truth is, is if everyone was a leader, I think about this, if everyone was a leader at the top, then who are they leading? In other words, not everyone's going to be the top dog leading. Not everyone's going to be a manager. Not everyone's going to own a business. Not everyone's going to attain high levels in political office. Not everyone's going to be a senior pastor in a church. Not not everyone's going to uh, rise to the ranks of any employment. There still are, from a military perspective, there's still boots on the ground that have to get the job done and not Everyone even has the makeup or design to be the top dog. Some people's brains just aren't wired that way. There are some people who are very successful and content running a dairy farm, and they're happy, and and they're successful at running the dairy farm, and they're successful providing a product, and they have no desire to achieve something higher than that, nor should we push that onto them. So... Very recently, I don't know if it's been a long time, but I've just noticed as I've grown up that there's a lot of self-help books out there, and a lot of it is, nowadays is about leadership. Um, <laughs> You're gonna push so, my button on that because so, Jesus did not teach people how to be leaders; he taught people how to be servants. Out of great servants come great leaders, and if all we do is teach leadership, leadership, leadership the idea of servant gets lost. And I've seen it so many places, so many churches, so many people in high school, they just want to be a leader, be a leader, be a leader. And yet the greatest leaders were servants. And Jesus said that himself, you, you want to be the greatest, you got to be the least. Uh, you, you want to be like me, you got to be willing to serve other people like I'm serving you. I mean, even his, the last time he ate with them and he washed their feet and, and the, one of the disciples said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus is like, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you really have no part of me because to be like me, you got to serve other people. So I want to go back before we, yeah, I'm I don't want to buttons already. No, I just don't want to go too far down a rabbit trail of leadership when we're talking about wealth and status. Mm-hmm. That's another thing we have to be worried about mm-hmm. is going down rabbit holes, mm-hmm. rabbit trails, mm-hmm. however you're supposed to say that. Yeah, but they come back around. That's true. Uh, but you you, but you mentioned contentment. Contentment. Being content. Being content. Is contentment a word? Sure. Well, being content. Isn't it easier to be content when you're not worried about paying bills? Not necessarily, I don't think. Why not? Because if I if I'm worried about 
like my light bill or electric bill. And I have people hounding me about that. How can you be content if you have to pay bills and you don't have the money to do it? One of the best places I think across the board when it comes to everyday practical living rules of life that work is in the book of Proverbs. There's, there's uh, 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, read a proverb a day for a year and see if it changes your life. But in Proverbs uh, 22, nine, it says a generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. So the idea, if I'm just so worried about my light bill and I forget that I have the ability to help someone else, our generosity makes room for blessing. It's, it's just a principle. Whether you're saved or not, whether you're a Christian or not, I've seen it in so many places in business where people will get up in front of people and have motivational talks, and, and without using the label Christian, they're saying the same thing. My generosity gave room for my, for my ability to, to succeed. And so not paying the electric bill, I think the focus needs to be, am I helping on other people? And at the end of the day, you know, God will take care of it, but it's a give and take. When the poor will be with you always, that's only because we have an obligation, I think, to take care of those in need. Just like in Acts, all the believers had everything in common. They sold possessions from time to time, distributed according to the needs, and nobody lacked anything. So I think the more we think about fellow humanity, humankind with each other, I think that's when we find places of contentment. Yeah, but how do you... So some people will say that you, in order to be generous, you have to have a lot. Or or maybe, maybe you don't have to have a lot, but that's the reason I want wealth and status is so I can be generous. So Proverbs 13, 22, I love this. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Often a verse so out of context because that verse does not talk about financial wealth but our American Western slant says it's about financial wealth when in reality that inheritance that's being left to your children's children are, are the fundamental principles of, of respecting uh, human beings, treating human beings well, taking care of people, uh, giving them the truths of who uh, uh, God is and, and the truths of our faith that no matter how good it is or how bad it is, um, we're, we're still we're still children of God as Christians. And the idea that, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Well, that means, well, when you're dead, someone else is going to spend it, whether they're a Christian or not. The other reality to this is that, is that, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be poor people. There are poor people and it, not in just there in this country, but in other countries, extremely poor people. And I have to be able to say, if that verse is applicable to all people, then how is it applicable to someone who can't rub two pennies together? Well, what's the inheritance you're leaving? It's not a bag of money. Uh, I, I grew up dirt poor. I didn't know I was poor until probably junior high school. I, all I know is, you know, we, we had a big garden and canned a lot of vegetables to eat through the winter. We we raised our own, our own meat that was slaughtered on our own property to put, put in our freezer. I, I just thought that was how people lived. I didn't know we were dirt poor until I got old enough for someone to point it out to me. But but we certainly weren't really, we really weren't poor. We, we had wealth that went way beyond something that was tangible in our hand. Now, again, I don't think there's anything wrong with being rich. I don't think there's anything wrong with obtaining a lot of money. But I think that when you do that over understanding our our ability to bless people we just want to get rich well there's a process some great business people will tell you the process of how poor they got before they got rich you look at some of the people like um like uh, KFC or 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 Milton Hershey 
um, or s some of these uh, great entrepreneurs in the early part of the 19th century and mid 19th century who who pretty much lost everything. It was on the brink of disaster before they had a breakthrough in some significant company that opened up a door of wealth. But but they had to understand being poor. They had to, had to understand. I think what I'm getting at is they had to understand the ability that that it's not my money that's going to make it. It's, 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 I have something I believe in. In this case, these were wealthy business people who believed in a product, but it, I think it goes across the board. I, I believe in something enough to lay my life down for. It's not necessarily about getting rich. I believe in something. So, so what's the dangers of, cause I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. Cause you answered a question before I can ask it when you, said they believed in a product so if because if what they were going after was being rich the first time they lost money they would have probably given up because the path to rich to to riches is probably not hey i'm about to lose a lot they believe if they had something that people wanted right and so 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 you answer my question because my my question was going to be what's going to drive you if you start to lose and you're still going and you said you have to believe in something. And now I go to the principles of my faith as a Christian. I believe in my protection. I believe in my, my, uh, my savior as being a shield, uh, a, a protector, a healer. I believe in it, even in the face of me dealing with disastrous situations in the flesh. I ha I believe so strongly that no matter what happens to me in the flesh, it doesn't take away from what I believe who my God is. And it's very similar. You got to you got to actually believe in it. And the idea of like I said in Proverbs 13:22, what's the inheritance that you leave your children's children? That's not a bag full of money because that's just something they can spend. That's not that's not it it doesn't last. That's that's fleeting. That's that that's temporary. Um, foundational truths, relationship building, respect of people, understanding uh, the need for justice where there's injustice. The 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 understanding of finding out how to help the oppressed. You just start going down the list, and when you make those the priority, which is basically other people first, you find yourself making ways to be successful, whether you have money or not have money. There's some very poor people who are very successful serving in a, a, a food kitchen and they get fed and they enjoy feeding others. I kind of want to change the, 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 the topic maybe a little bit. It might change it. But when it comes to wealth and status, and how we live our lives. We talk about politics a lot. And I think there's this thing of socialism versus capitalism. And so socialism, most people would assume, is spreading the wealth and maybe spreading the status and equalizing everything across the board. How do you, how do you let not how do you let, how should you let your perspective of wealth and status guide your life? That makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, but again, I want to go back to something I, I can't ignore. There's not an issue with wealth and status. The problem I have is that our culture currently teaches our young people, that's what you, that's what you must, that's what you must achieve. That's what you must achieve. That's what you must put your efforts into. And in reality, it, that might not be what you're designed to do. And so, okay, you mentioned socialism or communism or whichever route you want to take. Um, the truth, and I'm going to get some haters for this, but the truth, um, 
the principles of God to the Israelites in the Old Testament and the principles that Jesus was laying down about, about love one another and honor one another, take care of each other, look after the widows, look after the poor, look after the needy, look after the orphans, visit those who are sick and in prison, give them a coat when they need a coat, give, coat, give them bread when they need bread. Uh, the truth is that was a, a perfect harmonized form of socialism, social living. The problem is because, and again, from my Christian uh, ethics, the problem is because there's sin embedded in us, it pollutes what was actually supposed to work. So that's why socialism doesn't work right now, because the rich get richer and the, the poor stay poor, and there's less and less help for the poor when the rich have the means and sometimes I even see it in our current culture. There's there's big corporations just racking in millions and billions and some close to trillions. And yet they still struggle with giving their employees the amount of money that they could live uh, uh, maybe a more comfortable life. They don't they don't want it. They want to increase their margin of wealth rather than disperse it to people who are in need. That's a tough one. So so what do we do when But again, there's nothing wrong with wealth and status. But no, but but right, no. But when I'm we saying, forget people, no, why saying, why did we achieve it for? No, I'm saying but everything in our world is just a commercial. Everything is marketed. Seems so to nowadays. Get our money. Sure seems so nowadays. And so how do we, so the rich keep getting richer, the poor keep getting poorer. And status is something we want to achieve. And yet if favoritism is something that we were taught against, even in our New Testament. Again, I refer to my Christian uh, uh, foundation, uh, James 2. It, it, very, it very clearly talks about if someone comes into you uh, that's got fine clothes and, and finely dressed and fine jewelry, um, and, and you give him a seat in the front, but then someone comes in who's poor and you give him a seat in the back, it shouldn't be. As a matter of fact, I read it, it, it briefly in James. It says, um, it says, um, don't show favoritism, support a, a man. Uh, uh, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, uh, here's a good seat for you, but to the poor man, you, you, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you, have, uh, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges? With evil thoughts, and I see that all the time in in churches. It's crazy how people of status and wealth are quickly sought out, and it seems like and and now I'm stepping on toes. I'm stepping on toes. I know I'm stepping on toes, but it seems like it's almost like there's an eagle eye in some leadership. Like, oh, there's some wealth and status. I need to chum up next to that man. That's going to really benefit our where we're going. The person with wealth and status may be very beneficial to to the overall direction that, say, a church is going or a ministry is going or even a foundation, uh, uh, a non-religious uh, foundation is going. Or, but, but if you take and zero in on wealth and status to the point that you forget the person who is least among you, um, I think it's clear you're, you're judging with evil thoughts and Again, wealth and status is not a bad thing, but I think the way our Western culture operates right now, it is such an important thing that young people just seem to make as a huge priority. I want to be successful. I want to be rich. I want to be successful. I want to be rich. I want to be, okay, well, what if you're called to, to, to the middle of nowhere in India to live amongst, um, amongst a bunch of very, very poor people in a very, very poor community, living very poorly with them, but you're depositing tremendous riches into their life and feeding into their life in ways that money could not even buy. So, so how do we live in a world where in, in America, that's the only word I know of, in America, where everything is about wealth and status, like we grow up in that. I grew up in that. How do I 
how do I not let that affect my my vision, my dreams, and my aspirations for life? Because everything 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 that's in front of me is a nice car and a big house. One you of the, get a great yeah. job. You get status. You need to lead. One of the things I'm I'm reading a book uh, David uh, Kinnaman wrote, and um, and he talks about um, our current generation, which what he refers to as digital Babylon, and the idea that um, there's so many sources out there um, to take people's attention away from the real source, which consequently deals with relationships. And one of the things that that he even uh, spoke about. What, you in, mean what? What are you talking about? The source of of what is relationships? Of real contentment okay. on earth. And one of the things he said in there, I think he's he said it in in his in his uh, in section three of the book. He he said we have to learn to be measured beyond just what we can produce. In other words, we need to be known as individuals. And how does that happen? And his he's done a lot of studies on this real survey studies um, that are legitimate. And and he talks about how he calls what he calls the resilient group, the 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 young people who uh, grew up in church and didn't drift away, and what kept them there. Why did they not drift away when others did, uh, and and to different degrees? And a lot of it centers on the relationships that they have with people um, who are oftentimes even older, who are oftentimes even passing down principles to them. I like what I call, I call it the Titus principle. That's just what I call it. It's, it's, it's not tagged or anything like that. I call it the Titus principle in Titus 2, where, where it talks right at, at the beginning, teach, teach in accordance with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, endurance. And it goes on, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers, addicted to much wine. It goes on, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Um, and, and the idea that, that the principles of life are not centered on how much money I have, the principles of life are not centered on what my status level is, how high I climb, climb the ladder. We represent humanity. And I, I think a John Lennon song, Imagine, or many Christians are going to be cringing because I dare to bring up some secular song that in the 70s was from the devil. I heard it all when I was growing up in the 70s. But how true that song is when he said, you know, uh, 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 imagine um, there's no war, nothing to live or die for. Uh, everyone living together, it, it, the, the song Imagine. Um Imagine there's no heaven and there's no hell. And, and, of course, that's where it becomes, oh, don't ever sing that song, you're going to hell. Well, he's just suggesting that imagine when humanity just can just respect each other, love each other, help each other, be there for each other, support each other, that if you are a person of wealth, you're not trying to get wealthier just to get wealthy. You realize that your wealth is an ability to bless those who have less wealth. Just like uh, your status can open up doors that other people don't have access to, but it shouldn't be for your own, your own um, 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 recognition, just trying to get accolades for yourself, hanging plaques on your I love me wall. The reality is, the Bible says, is that you store up your treasures in heaven, not on earth, where moth and decay takes over. And and I just think that if we focus on wealth and success, um, and our wealth and status, just as I got to do that, we miss all these underlying principles that get us there in the first place. And I I, I understand everything you're saying, but you how don't have do we... to agree. It's just my perspective. <laughs> So I I do agree with everything you're saying. I'm just trying to figure out how to not allow it to rule my life because everybody's telling us, hey, you need to make it to this point by now. And then you, how do we battle? So you gave the scripture of saying, don't give like the best seat to the person with the gold ring or the best clothes. How do you, what would you say to someone who that has happened to 
Like they didn't get the seat because they didn't have the best clothes because they didn't have the gold ring. They got put in the back. And so and that's what that turns people off. Right. But that experience is going to tell me, well, Hey, I can't get access to that because I don't have wealth. Right. I don't have status. And and it's simple Th- that, that, that is temporary. And the more we teach that everything on earth is temporary, the average person who who dies today, a hundred years from now, no one's going to even know his name. The, 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 the I, I live in a big city. I live in, in I, hear, I live on, in hold, Norfolk, hold Virginia. On, hold on, I hear you. I, and guess what? You don't even you walk up to the average person and ask them who was the mayor of Norfolk in in 1901. They don't know. And yet in 1901, it might have been an important thing. And the more we help people realize, wait a minute. This is so temporary. I can't lose sight of building relationships. Yeah. So the the answer is how you got to be very resilient um, to 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 culture taking you away from from understanding God, and you got to be very resilient not to isolate because we do that. We isolate because Google lets us isolate. So we can Google all our answers. We can text all our communications. We can isolate ourselves and limit contact. We can we can limit relationship building. And the reality is when you say, who do you listen to? A lot of young people who, who are spending too much time listening to other young people. And the result is, is you get young people learning from young people with very little uh, uh, wisdom that comes through years of experience. All the more reason you need, you need to have this harmonious relationship building with older and younger and helping realize, helping realize, you know, my, my placement might be blank. I, I could end up rich and wealthy, or I could end up picking corn. And it doesn't matter which it is. What matters is am I a place where I'm content and understand my value to the people around me? We're going to come back to that thought of young people talking to young people. (laughs) But before that, you were talking about this is just temporary. That's easy to say. That's easy to say if if that's easy for a person that's not worried about anything to say, oh, it's just temporary. Well, you might not be going through what I'm going through. It's like, it's like, it's like, we're going to talk about race during these conversations. So we're just bringing it up in the first one. James Baldwin gave a question because everyone is talking about, well, progress will come. Progress will come. Just wait. And he was like, well, how long do you want us to wait for your progress? So it's easy for a person who's not struggling with something to say, oh, it's just temporary. But, no, but I, I, I think otherwise. I think the more you're in the middle of it, the more you can help somebody through it. Just like here's an example. I've known this on more than one occasion, someone who who has a sense of from the idea of status and wealth from a healthy perspective, I, I know of more than one person who 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 did well in life and and was financially well off and and was considered to have a, a, a maybe a level of status who gets stricken with cancer and now has to go to a cancer center and go through chemo and go through radiation and lose their hair and and lose weight and and their principles of their faith were not based on their money and their status, but because it was something deeper, more relational, they were able to to actually be a people of comfort to other people in the cancer center who needed the reassurance. It's going to get better. Now, this is just an example that but i believe it 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 can apply that sometimes sometimes the best people are the ones who are actually in the trenches leading the charge saying yeah it's going to get better not necessarily not necessarily someone who who doesn't have the stress on them i i i will never fully understand 
I'm not ashamed of this. It is what it is. It's it's my time and placement in 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 time. I will not fully understand racism and its effects on Black America because I'm not Black. I will try my best. I will do my best to listen and learn and grow. But the reality is I, 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 I am limited on how I can encourage uh, young Black people to achieve in life or be content with where they are in life. Now, now I don't think oppression is something we should be content with. So when I say content and success running hand in hand, I, I'm not talking about oppression. I don't think that's something we should ever be content with because Jesus was never content with it, nor was God. And I don't think injustice is something we should ever be content with because Jesus was never content with it, nor was God. Now, when people are in the midst of that, um, unless I've gone through it, I am limited in my scope because I lack the experience. I lack the wounds. I, I lack I lack some of what a person goes through. There. No. And, and so I think race is a good way of explaining... I think race is a the the problem with race in our country is a good analogy for a lot of things. Like race is not the only place where people are oppressed. So like you were saying, you have all of these big companies that are making like I think Apple has they're they're like a lot of money. Like Scrooge McDuck with just a a vault of money just sitting there. A lot of money. But yet we have people starving. And it's like, why are you just holding all that money in the bank instead of feeding somebody? And so, how I'm still I'm still struggling with how to not let that affect our lives when everything is telling us. So we have for the Christians out there, we just have a book that tells us. Hey, don't go after these things. That's the but problem. Then, but then everything else, your entire life it's is telling you button. to go after this. That's the problem. Too many Christians in today's Western culture examine only the book and only a portion of the book instead of realizing there's much more to history. The Bible, the Bible dovetails into history, and therefore we have to know other than Bible content. Bible content to me is extremely important, but too often it's selective how people want to dive into it, and they forget that much of what you read has a context outside of 2021, the year we're in now, the, the year that we're in now. And if the context is outside of that, then we got to realize what is it that's being said at that time to those people? What was happening in their lives? What was happening historically that made this important? And that's where you find some of these underlying fundamental truths. And again, I hope people achieve elements of success and financial wealth. But when that's the only goal, you miss the whole idea of, oh man, just slow down and live. Ecclesiastes talks all about that, man. And Just so, and take yes, a breath. Yes, I under, I understand that. Being thirty-three, I have already seen how going after wealth and status has not filled the voids in my life. But just to be honest, sometimes the Bible is boring to read, and I think that's because we don't have enough relational moments where older people are making it alive. Yeah, but... And that's why of, it's boring. Yes, but as the whole purpose of this podcast is because a lot of old people are telling us that we suck. So how do we go to old people to say, hey, what's the point of life if you keep saying, hey, we suck? And that's where there's... then that's where through several decades... There's been a disconnect, and like I said, we've lost sight of making 
our Bible alive to people. I, I took a course um, in my doctoral studies and um, where I was looking at um, uh, examining the Word through history and and the idea of the the oral gospel or um, or the idea that um, the whole Bible itself was orally presented. People didn't, as a rule, know how to read and write. They had to trust somebody who could read and write to tell them the story in a way that was palatable. Because even today in our culture, the average person out of high school who doesn't go on to college reverts quickly to a seventh grade reading level. They are functionally literate. That's it. Functionally. They can read a menu. They can text. They can, they can read a, a TV uh, guide on the, uh, they're functionally literate. Not, so go back to the, 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 the uh, presenting the scriptures orally. They would present them as stories. And I, I use this analogy. It's like you go and you have a big family get together for Thanksgiving and someone starts the story about uh, uh, great, great Aunt Agnes and her and her muffins. And next thing you know, yeah. And they're all talking about her muffins and how good her muffins were and their blueberry muffins and glazed over. And then someone says, oh yeah. And they remember when her, when, when, when her husband one time dropped them on the floor just before they were getting served and everyone adds to the story. And then they're like, oh, I remember that. And, and that particular year we had this huge Turkey, the biggest Turkey we ever had. And, and they all have a story that's alive. And unless you look at the Bible that way, I think you do miss some things if you just read it, but go back to something we started to say, and then we got off course because we rabbit trail back and forth, which is okay. I go back to the idea of, of when you said about, you know, I, I, I equated what I heard as, as you're talking about striving. And, and I, I mentioned Ecclesiastes, and it says in Ecclesiastes, um, now I'm reading in Ecclesiastes uh, uh, chapter 2, uh, and starting at 10, it says, I denied myself nothing, my eyes, uh, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. In other words, if I saw it, I took it. I refused my heart no pleasure. If I wanted it, I took it. My heart took delight in all my work. Man, everything I did, yeah, I was proud of it. And, and, and this was the reward from all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And the whole idea is this. On this side of eternity, it's all temporary. And there was nothing wrong with achieving wealth and status, but it's temporary. And if we're not achieving it, if we're not achieving it for the help of others, we're missing it. But isn't, isn't it common, I wouldn't say common knowledge, but through the academic field, isn't it known or understood that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes? Sure. He's considered to be, it, it says, uh, you know, Kowalith, but it's believed to be his right. writings. But he's also one of the richest people ever in you would, all of history. And the wisest. So it's easy for him to maybe say, oh, it's temporary after I've gained everything that I've ever wanted and realized, well... It's easy for you to say that because you got a whole bunch of money. Correct? Maybe, maybe not. So, yeah, okay, so so here, earlier in that same chapter, I undertook great projects. That means other people were involved. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. That means people served him. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. That means people were directed to do labor on his behalf. I made uh, reservoirs to uh, to water groves of flourishing trees. That means he employed a lot of people. Uh, I, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. That means he was very controlling of people. I also owned more herds and flocks than should anyone be, in Jerusalem. Should, should we be canceling Solomon? Absolutely because not. Of- Okay, and I know where you're going, and we've <laughs> we've talked about this. And, and matter of fact, you and I had this conversation re- recently. When we see the word slave or slavery in the Bible, we got to stop applying our 
the evil that 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 plagued this this country in 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 the early years of this country that was that was an evil plague but that's not the context and like i was telling you not too long ago you know we still deal with forms of internal slavery mental slavery uh we're still captive to things and instead of applying that that uh, that american plague understand that that word has a has a much larger context than the plague of slavery. And that was evil. It was evil. It was evil, 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 evil. But the reality is there are still things that that bond hold us in bondage, hold us captive, and and we've got to wrestle these things out in our heart. But anyways, so yeah, he acquired singers, he had a Harlem. Um he he was he was he was the man. He was the man. And yet at the end he said, you know, it's probably best if you just live and enjoy life. But it seems to me, it seems like it's the rich people saying, Hey, money isn't the answer to everything. Go to Ecclesiastes again, chapter three. It says this better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What does that mean? It means sometimes less is more. I mean, sometimes I'm better off having a bowl of soup than beating myself into the ground, chasing someone down and beating them up to get two bowls of soup. So, so what do we do in our daily lives to gain that contentment? Okay, let's talk about Ecclesiastes again. It says in there, and this is chapter two, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. In other words, it's not I'm rich and I'm famous and I have uh, a lot of money. It's do I understand that I am part of a big puzzle of people and, and the person in the field who's, who's, who's picking cabbage is every bit more as important than, than the great wealthy a grocery store entrepreneur who's shipping in the best cabbage from around the country. If not, the person picking cabbage is even more important because without him, we're not going to get our cabbage. And we don't, we don't understand the value that different people have in our society. There's a big, a lot of talk now about vocational schools and how they've lost vogue in our culture. The idea of going to mechanic school or electrician school or carpentry school or haircutting school. No, go to college, go to college, go to college. Well, at the end of the day, I still take my lawnmower to get fixed by somebody. At the end of the day, I still go and sit in a barber's chair. At the end of the day, um, I, I still call an electrician because I don't know how to do wiring. And yet we put so much status on you. you you're going to go to college. You're going to get a good degree. And with that degree, you're going to get a good job. And with that good job, you're going to be successful and earn money. And yet there's thousands upon thousands of, of, of people right now who graduated from college with good degrees that can't get a job in the field that they studied. But they could get a job, but they're not content with the job that's available. So um, maybe you've answered the question. Maybe I've just stirred know. up a big old mud pile. I don't, I'm still trying to, I, where does, I'm still trying to figure out how to, how to get to the level of content to where I can see people like Jeff Bezos just raking in a whole bunch of unnecessary amounts of wealth off of people like me. And there's a whole other aspect of we're the people that put him there. Hey, I'm sitting here, middle-class America. I'm not, I'm not considered wealthy by any means. I don't have a big name plastered all over the billboards and all over social media and all over YouTube. If it happens, it's going to happen because my heart is to just talk about these matters, not because I'm trying to become famous. Yeah, but you're also— You can, you can still send me your finances. But you're, but so, but you're, so this shameless plug, if you send me your finances, Troy and I will figure out a way to help others in the process. <laughs> or am I might—never mind. Um, so 
and I don't want to drive a Cadillac. I'm happy with my Ford truck and driving a motorcycle. I don't want to have a mansion. There should be no shame in the fact that I don't want a a, a thirty room mansion okay. with 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 six bathrooms and two pools. Okay. I don't want so, it. So you're not so you're not Solomon, but yet you're telling us that money and wealth and status still isn't the answer. So how do you how do you how do you have how do you look at your life and not desire a big house, a pool. Like you're not you're you're not saying that it's wrong to desire those things. Nope. And, and I have, saying, have friends who have attained those things and 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 bring me as guests into their homes. For sure. And it's some I've been in million dollar homes as a guest, staying in the in in the in the guest residence. Okay. And so and, how and, do you so how do you go to those houses and not desire those those things because so for us our generation my my generation and generation after me we live on our phones half of the time we're on social media and i don't and so now you probably back in your day you when you saw somebody rich they were probably older than you no, I think I saw people who were rich who were of different ages. So, and usually it was connected. I, I'm I, I don't quote me as accurate on this. I'm giving you my perception, but usually it was connected that somehow they went to college and had a job that earned a right. lot of money. So, so there's a like YouTube has wrecked shop. So now you have this kid. I can't remember his name, but. He he became a millionaire because he just he just reviewed toys, and he became a millionaire just reviewing toys. And I'm and gonna so, I'm gonna guess, and, and and I think this might even be accurate. And I have no idea who you're talking about. He probably didn't set out saying I'm gonna get rich reviewing toys. He probably started out saying, I really like reviewing toys. Oh, so I'm gonna sure. start reviewing toys. And next thing you know, it began to prosper. And and his zeal for that thing made way for his blessing. That's my for point. Sure. And, and I, That's where no, we started. No, 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 no. I get I get that. I get that. I'm saying if I don't if I haven't found my thing yet. If I haven't found a thing I'm passionate about, there's a trend now that I don't know if it's a trend. I think it's a trend of YouTubers. Those are what you've called like actors probably back in your day. But, but YouTubers, they have their, they have millions of subscribers. And there's always a thing of, oh, check out my new $18 million house. How do, we spend our lives on YouTube and we see that all the time or a rich person or one of these YouTubers getting their friends a Lamborghini. So again, if you're a Christian, you've got to go back to the yeah, biblical but what principles. what if you're not a Christian? Well, hopefully you'll have conversations with people who aren't to help them realize there's more value in people than things. B.J. Thomas um, he was a, a secular singer who uh, had top hits, who became a, a Christian singer. And uh, when he was a Christian singer, he sang a song about, about how we should be, um, how we make the mistake of loving things and using people, but we should be using things and loving people. And how do you do that? Is you, it, it, without being all super religious and in people's face, is you, you just, we got to find ways to help people realize what's important is the people in our lives because uh, i tell you more than you probably heard about it more often than not there's a lot of people who later on will tell you you know what i i, I attained everything and it still didn't satisfy something inside of me yeah if you forget people that's what i got to say about that and so so What's one way you keep the main thing the main thing? That is such Christian jargon. Please, please check me on Christian jargon. I don't want to do that. But 
you say people are the thing. How do you keep people and relationships your focus? I'm not sure I can answer that the way you want it answered other than I grew up. How do I want it answered? What's that? How do I want it answered? You you want a simple statement that makes you go, oh, I get it. Okay, you're right. And and all I can say is that in my upbringing and in my life, somehow I always had, I always leaned toward people of wisdom regardless of, status and wealth i always had people that i leaned to who i knew i could trust speaking into my life and that's another issue without changing the topic but as part of the issue is there's a great lack of trust in our current culture we don't we we trust social media and google more than we trust each other yeah because we hurt each other and guess what? Understanding that we're, go- I'm going to hurt you, not intentionally. If it is intentionally, then there is a bigger problem. But when we understand that in our humanity, yeah, we're going to hurt each other. So how do we help each other beyond the hurt? How, how do we help each other beyond the hurt? What does that mean? You said we hurt each other. Well, how do we learn to love and help each other beyond that hurt? Beyond that hurt. I heard that wrong. I heard, I heard beyond. No, beyond that hurt. Beyond, beyond that, that hurt. hurt. Okay. All right. I have a. This may get deleted out of the podcast because we're going long, but you know George McDonald, right? I know of him. So I was reading, and he says. Speaking of the rich young ruler that went to Jesus, he was like, hey, how do I be saved? He said, the rich man does not by any necessity belong to the kingdom of Satan, but into that kingdom he is especially welcome, whereas into the kingdom of heaven he will just be as welcome as any other man. Meaning, I think, I think that's what you're saying, is wealth isn't bad, but... When he says it's a, it's a especially welcomed in the kingdom of Satan, is there a level of vulnerability when you are wealthy and you have a lot of status? Sure. I, I know lots of people who I consider friends, so I'm not trying to pick on any in particular, in particular person, but I know a lot of people who consider them, who I consider to be my friends who have status and wealth and will talk about how um, they're, how um, hungry people need to be fed, but don't give money toward it and don't show up helping at a soup kitchen and don't help at a food pantry. But they're willing to acknowledge in their wealth and status that we could do more to help feed people. But So does that make them... So let's say, let's say I have $5 and a person has $200. We both see a person in need and neither one of us help them. Is a person with $200 a, a worse person nope. than me? Nope. If you both had liquid cash that was... In any form of excess, you're on equal footing, regardless of the amount. The flip is for, I know a guy who's lived a very um, poor life, probably on the poverty line level, but he had to drive a fancy Mustang and was willing to do that and still have people go to the food pantry and get food for him. So again, his that Mustang was status to him. And the ability that he could make the Mustang payment was, was when he's driving out of town, the, the look of wealth 
and yet he had to get free food from food distribution. And and again, wealth and status became an obstacle. And the truth is, and I had said it to him once in a conversation. <laughs> I actually said, um, "Well, how much is your Mustang payment? Such and such." I says. Well, you're willing to pay all that for a Mustang when you could buy a a reliable form of transportation for much less and put food on your table? But he wanted the Mustang. It's a true story. True story. You're sitting there with shaking your head, not, not grasping that this is a true story. It's a true story. Matter of fact, that same person I know got help with utilities once in the wintertime. But he was willing to make his Mustang payments. That's what I mean by wealth and status. It, 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 it is, a, is a big plague and obstacle in our current culture because it's, a, it, it's attached in the wrong way f- even for the poor. I'm sure you've heard, and I'm not trying to 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 create any type of um, of of upheaval here, but I'm sure you've heard yeah, right. of many people who who drive a Cadillac and happily pick up their food stamps. Right or wrong? No, you're right. Okay, you didn't want to say it, but it's it's true. So, what's more important that you drive the Cadillac and look good riding around town at the expense of of other people providing you food stamps, or do you get a reliable form of transportation that that that's within your budget so that you can buy your own food? But the wealth and status of driving around in a Cadillac and having a nice spiffy suit on a Sunday was more important than putting food on the table. And that's what I mean by wealth and status. It's on both ends. It's it's messed up. You just you just dive plane, didn't you? <laughs> so at the beginning I was focusing on rich people. And now you switched it to poor people. Because it's a problem across the board. And that's part of the problem. You're you're really giving the sign out. That's part of the problem. We hear the term wealth and status, and someone willing to stand up and say, "There's one of our problems is wealth and status." And we we immediately think about people who are getting wealthy and achieving high levels of status, and not realizing, no, this is a problem across the board. You're like, dang. <laughs> If this was a video right now, it'd be great. If we could all just see the expression on your face, is this kind of sunk sunk, sunk in? I, I think I think the people that know me can picture the face that I'm making. <laughs> I just there's not a problem with being wealthy, and there's not a problem with achieving high levels of status. The problem is that becomes the goal at the expense of healthy relationships with other human beings on the planet. And that's it. Relationships. Hey, my entire faith is built on understanding of relationships. My master's thesis was on relationships, biblical, uh, a parallel look at biblical relationships. And my, my doctoral dissertation was about prayer and the relationship building, uh, 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 the relational aspect of prayer with God and with people. So yeah, relationships. And at the expense of relationships, we we achieve wealth and status. And that's why there's a lot of lonely people, sadly, I'm not saying this lightly, a lot of lonely people who've done well who still commit suicide. Because they're lonely. A lot of times. I'm not saying that's the only reason. But yeah. I got nothing to live for. I understand as some professionals might listen to this podcast, there's other mental factors that 
are part of the equation. I get that. I'm not. I'm not trying to. To to, you know, take that out of the equation. However, a lot of times, what's left over in a note or a conversation is, I got nothing to live for. Every time I have an idea of visiting my daughter or coming home to my wife or, or visiting people at church or seeing a friend, I got something to live for. And so we have to end this podcast for this episode sometime. We can talk forever. This but, might be a two-parter. But I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to end it on suicide. So give us something lighthearted. My daughter one time had a dog and she tied the dog to a sled with a rope to I the said, collar. I, I said lighthearted. Oh, it's going to be. <laughs> you... And she thought the dog was going to pull her and the dog freaked out, ran to the porch, up the porch and through the glass screen door. It was the glass for the wintertime because you replace the screen. And fortunately, no one got hurt and no one got cut. And for her whole life, she used to say to me, uh, or her whole life, whenever she did something wrong, I'd always give her the dad lecture. And then I'd say, what did you learn? And well, this particular time, she cut me off at the pass. And before I got home, she wrote me a letter. And you just have this letter. And it's, yeah. Just, he literally just pulled this letter out of his Bible. <laughs> and it says, oh, there's a picture of the dog in here too. Where's the dog? Uh, there, there, There's the dog right there. <laughs> It's a Dalmatian, just yeah. let you guys know. Um, and and she was going to cut me off at the pass with with a little frown face with tears before emojis were even known back then. And it says, now she wrote it twice. She wrote it, and then she went and crossed some things out and rewrote over it. So I'm going to read it what it said the first time, and then I'll read what she crossed out and redid. Dear Dad, she's like, I'm going to cut this off at the pass. Tonight, I broke the glass window on the back screen. I had my mom's dog hooked to my sled. I let him run freely. Then he ran into the porch and jumped through the window. The regular door was not shut. I had the dog hooked to my sled because I wanted him to pull me in it. This is what I learned. Moral. If something is supposed to be used for something, don't use it for something else. Then she lined out and reworded that. If a horse is supposed to pull a sled, don't use the dog. And then the back says, I am glad that nobody got hurt or injured. I am still happy nobody got hurt really bad, but still angry at myself. Love, Mo. So we're going to need more stories to end our podcast. From here on out, oh. we're definitely going to have dad stories. We'll see. So, sorry, Mariah. Your childhood may be exposed because he's going to give us dad stories. All right. We are out to the next episode, possibly still on love and status. But, uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks You're for, next. Thanks for clicking on this podcast, and we welcome you on this journey with us.